Welcome to the Heal Podcast, where we believe God heals people in the way that brings Him the most glory and brings us closest to Him. Whether you've received healing, you're in the fight of your life, or you gave up on God a long time ago, you are welcome here. As you come to the table, listen with an open mind, knowing everyone's journey is unique, but pain is our common language. Hi friend, welcome to The Heal Podcast. My name is Tara Bradham Denai. I am your host, and today looks a little bit different than normal. I wanted to give us a little bit of a break last week. I mean, all of us, meaning the few people who work for Heal voluntarily. But what we're going to do is today is my sermon from the Heal Retreat that was a few weeks ago. So I think a lot of you were not able to make it to that. So if you weren't, I really hope that this sermon encourages you. I did record it when I had COVID and things were a mess. And so the name is very aptly, the struggle is real and the struggle is real, but so is our God. And so I hope you enjoy this message. And since it's short, if you want to listen to other interviews, This week would be a great time to do that. I know a lot of people started listening later and there are even some really great interviews that I still love remembering from the very beginning. So whatever you need to do this week, I hope that you feel fed and I have a lot of interviews coming for you when we get back and I will see you next week with a fresh interview. Enjoy the sermon and I will see you next Monday. Good morning or afternoon, Heal community here at the Heal Retreat. We are so excited you are here. Thank you for coming. This morning I am joining you where I just spilled my smoothie. I am a little bit sick. I'm going to try to get through without coughing. Have grace for me if I do. So the struggle is real this morning and I just want to say that because that is also the title of this message. The struggle is real. So to start, I want you to think about the most joyous moment of your life. I know that's a lot of pressure. So maybe one of the most joyous moments of your life. It can just be a time when you felt very fulfilled. And I want you to think about all the senses. What did you hear in that moment? What did you see? What did you feel? Who was there? What was the scenery inside, outside? And then I want you to think about why. Why do you think that moment was so joyous? And again, that's hard in 15 seconds, but is it because of who was there? Is it because the moment was so easy and pain-free? I don't know. I don't know about you, but I know when I thought about this, the moments that I thought of were moments that meant a lot to me for a reason you might not expect. And so one that I thought of was pretty recently in the past few months, someone messaged me to say that they got a hold of my book in prison and they read the book and they recommitted their life to Christ. And I love that moment, not because I'm sitting there and just elated and happy and carefree, but because it comes from so much pain preceding it. Not only does it come from so much pain in that person's life, that they were in prison and were led to my book in that prison library, but it comes from so much pain in my life. So it comes from not only the publisher messing up and the error that caused all these books to get into prisons, which that was a little painful for me at the time, so to see God redeem that, 
but it also comes from my story of seven years of agony, of begging to die, of kicking with my arms at my side as a collegiate swimmer, and begging God to use that story someday in someone's life and him bringing that full circle. So the reason that's so joyous to me is because there was actually so much pain preceding it. And so I'm curious, when you look at the joyous moments in your life, how many of them also come from some of the most painful times in your life as well, because God is redeeming it. So my point today is that the greater the struggle, the greater the joy. The greater the struggle, the greater the joy. And so as we go through this, Christianity is founded upon struggle. Struggle is the entryway into Christianity. And so the world wants you to believe that a struggle-free life is actually the goal, that trials and tribulations are something that show us that how could a good God exist. And that's the opposite of what we find in the Bible and what we find in reality, because God made this world and the way it works according to his standards. And so his standards show that this world is broken, that it's been broken since Adam and Eve sinned, but that because of all of this pain, it should actually lead us to think that there is a greater joy coming, just like we have this greater joy when we've had more pain before. So we should look to this pain, realize that something is wrong and know that the joy of heaven Heaven, the joy of redemption, the joy of the new Jerusalem, the joy of Jesus coming back, the joy of there being no mourning and no tears and no pain anymore. That is what our pain should lead us to seeking. So the greater the pain, the greater the joy. But in this, I want us to realize a lot of people here, when we talk about all pain is valid, emotional, physical, mental, spiritual, but we focus a lot on the physical here and at these retreats. And so if you're here, you most likely have some kind of physical pain or limitation going on. And what I want to tell you is our goal is not to get rid of the pain. Our goal is to be faithful in the pain. Our goal is not to get rid of it, but to be faithful amidst this pain, to be faithful to the end, to the beginning of our life in eternity, to, to see God come through and redeem our stories in that way, to give us joy, not just then, mind you, but joy in the present. Joy even amidst this pain that you think is impossible to have joy through. So the question is how, right? How do we do this? Well, first off, I want to take us just on a side note, a very important side note that feeds into this, of what healing looks like in the Bible. So if you go to Luke 5, 17 through 26, I think this is one of the best scripture passages to show that God cares about our spirits first and then our bodies. And so I'm not going to get into a super deep theological dive on this, but what I do want to tell you is that there are Greek words in the Bible, and sometimes they denote physical healing, sometimes they denote spiritual healing, and that when you look at the greater context of the Bible, you see that Jesus cared about people's bodies. He healed people's bodies. He cares. The Bible says that our bodies will be resurrected in the last day, but he cares about people's spirits first. So, in Luke 5, 7, 5, 17 through 26, it's the story of the paralytic. And his friends bring this man who's been paralyzed for years, and they can't get to Jesus while he's teaching the crowds. And so they go up on the roof, and they dig through this roof, 
break through someone's home and they lower down this man in front of Jesus. And what this passage says at the beginning is that Jesus had the power to heal the whole time. But when his friends lower him down, he says, he doesn't say, friend, your faith has healed you. He says, friend, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. And then he knows people's thoughts and the Pharisees and people sitting there say, who is this that he thinks he has the power to forgive sins? Only God alone has the power to do that. And then Jesus responds, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. Then he turns to the paralytic and he says, get up, take up your mat and go home. And then he's healed and that's the story that we see. But you have to look that the, the greatest miracle in this isn't that the paralytic was healed from his paralysis. It's that the paralytic was healed from his sins, from the sins and the ropes that were entangling him in his life in a much more severe and debilitating way than even his physical constraints. So we look at this, God cares more about your spirit than your body. That is not to say that he doesn't care about healing. That is not to say that you shouldn't pray for healing. I think someone here today, maybe God's plan is to miraculously heal your body and what you're dealing with. Let's pray for that. Let's ask for that. So let's see if that's God's plan. But we do see in the Bible and according to testimonies that that's not always the way that he chooses to work. So that's why our goal is to be faithful, to let him come supernaturally transform our hearts and give us joy in a way that we never would have thought was possible. <coughs> So how? That's what we come back to. So how? When you are sitting there saying, God, I can't get through another day. When you are jealous of maybe your friends or your spouse or your relative because they don't have the pain struggles that you have. Or maybe you get the same sickness and they're getting better faster because they don't have the immune deficiencies that you have. When you have all these struggles, how do you in that moment say, you know what, God, I'm joyful. Is it just discipline? Is it just saying, okay, that's fine. I'm just going to be happy. Uh, that doesn't work. I don't know if you've tried that. It certainly hasn't worked for me before. And so what I want to take you to is the passage in 2 Corinthians 12. 2 Corinthians 12, 6 through 10. And this is a passage we hear a lot with pain, but I hope to give you a new spin on it today to show you how to be faithful and how to have joy amidst this very, very real struggle. So, for if I want to boast, this is Paul speaking, he says, I wouldn't be a fool because I would be telling the truth, but I will spare you so that no one can credit me with something beyond what he sees in me or hears from me, especially because of the extraordinary revelations. So by the way, I'm getting extraordinary revelations from God, so I'm not going to boast about it, okay? So therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me so that I would not exalt myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. So in this, people have surmised all kinds of things of what people think that thorn is. But something I've learned recently, and there's, there's decent evidence for why a lot of scholars believe this, is that Paul's thorn in the flesh might have been a vision deficit. So in other places in the Bible, he tells um, people he's writing to that if, I know that if you would give your eyes for me, you could. And so that's why they think it might be actually a physical ailment that was not being healed, that felt like Paul felt like it limited him. It might be something else, but let's just say for now that that's what it was. 
And so in this, Paul's like, okay, I can't really have joy in this. I really don't want it to be here. How does he find joy in this immense struggle? He says, therefore, I will gladly boast all the more about my weakness, weaknesses, so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure, I take joy in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This sufficient grace. Here's the thing. Yes, we can pray, God, please let your grace be sufficient for me. But we can also say, God, thank you that your grace is sufficient for me in the present. So I have been reading a book called Victory in Christ by Charles Trimble. And it is amazing, has blown my mind. And this is a quote from him about the grace of God. So first off, grace means God does it all. All. God does it all. So if you are trying to let God supernaturally change you, and you're trying to help him just a little bit, say, I'm going to be joyful, I'm going to be joyful, you're not allowing God's supernatural work to have full effect in your life because you haven't fully surrendered your capabilities yet. So this quote, he says, what is grace? We all know it's God's beneficent, beneficent work for us, wholly independent of what we are and what we do. It is not merely God's attitude toward us, but his activity on our behalf. Grace does not mean that God stands off and smilingly looks in our direction. Grace means his tremendous, omnipotent activity, the dynamite of heaven, accomplishing things on our behalf. You can't do this. To turn your struggle into joy is beyond you. It's beyond human capability. So when you get to the end of yourself, that's when you have to let God come in, supernaturally give you joy. And I can't even explain this. All I can tell you is that it happens. It happens when you get to the end of yourself and you say, God, thank you that your grace is sufficient for me. He changes your heart. He changes your mind and your spirit And he gives you the fruit of the Spirit, only he has love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Only he can give us those things truly and in abundance to help us be faithful amidst this pain. So it has to be supernatural. It has to be heaven's dynamite blowing things up in your behalf so that this struggle can be turned into joy. So because we have God's grace we know that our struggle will lead to joy. That's the only reason, right? Because basically the sad truth is in this world is that a lot of people's struggle leads to bitterness. Like the greater the struggle, the greater the bitterness. That would be a good description for a lot of people I know, right? How many people do you know where God didn't heal someone they loved and it turns to bitterness? How many people do you know who haven't gotten their way and they hit a huge bump in life and then that turned to bitterness? This is the key. Grace, God's supernatural grace, God's supernatural dynamite of heaven is the missing link in the equation to turn your struggle into the greatest joy you've ever known in your entire life. So grace is how we endure. Jesus is why we endure. And the resurrection is what is waiting for us when we endure to receive that crown when we have stood the test. James says that blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Jesus is our why. And going back to the beginning, when we're talking about the greater the struggle, the greater the pain, the greater the joy that can come from it when 
God redeems it, when God supernaturally infuses his grace into the situation. Let's just imagine that instead of Jesus choosing to be on a cross, that the wood just magically transformed into a boat that took him up into heaven. Maybe a few people would have believed he was the Son of God based on the miracle, but he would have missed all the pain. He would have missed the fact that he redeemed us wholly and completely, that his was a blood-bought promise for us now, that we don't have to be bound to the power of sin, that we can be free in Jesus' name through his sacrifice. And he could do it because of the joy set before him. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And then he has experienced a joy you and I could barely even fathom, more joy than we could ever ask or imagine, because he knows what it is to sit at the right hand of God. So Jesus is our ultimate example. Because we have him who has endured more pain than we can fathom, we also have him who has endured more joy than we could fathom. And that's what he gives us through the Holy Spirit. So the struggle is real, but the joy is real as well.